Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Amanda Baldwin, CEO of Supergoop, the first protective skincare brand that puts SPF at the forefront. Amanda is a veteran of the beauty industry, having spent years at Clinique, LVMH, and most recently, she was an operating partner at El Ketterton, the largest global consumer-focused investment fund. In this episode, we dive into Amanda's impressive background that paved the way for where she is today. Amanda shares what it takes to create a great brand, the importance of people and culture in scaling a business, why we need to wear sunscreen every day, and yes, Supergroup makes it much easier, the keys to finding a great investment partner. We talk about the lessons she's learned throughout the years, like saying yes to meeting people you might not otherwise, giving your mind space to be able to tune into your intuition and creativity, the importance of celebrating the small wins, and surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Keep listening to learn more. I'm so excited to share with you our new five grain and seed oatmeal multi-packs. We just launched two incredibly delicious varieties, classic cinnamon and banana nut. Our new oatmeals are unlike anything on the market, intentionally crafted with a plant-based protein blend of pea and chickpeas, sweetened with coconut sugar, plus superfood ingredients like chia and flax, perfect to fuel your busy day. These single-serve packets are total game changers with irresistible taste and texture that's ready in literally a minute and perfectly suited for our new lifestyles back on the go or those days that we're still at home and you want an elevated quick breakfast. So head on over to your local Sprouts or Kroger or head on over to purelyelizabeth.com and pick up your new favorite breakfast staple. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. I so appreciate you taking the time today and so excited to dive into your story. Great to be here. It's so great to see you after I think it's two years, three years. I don't even know. Um, I've lost track of time, but really a pleasure. I've been eating a lot of Purely Elizabeth since, so. (laughs) Well, I've been trying to put more sunscreen on daily, so. There we go. (laughs) So at Purely Elizabeth and really on the podcast, our mission is to help our consumers thrive on their wellness journey. And part of that journey is to me really career and being happy with your career is just one piece of it. There's food, there's relationships, there's all those things. But I'm excited today, really focusing on your career, which has been so inspiring. And I'm just so excited for you to share your story. So it would be great to start with really your journey from the beginning and what got you to Supergroup. Yeah, gosh, I think that what I would say is that I always start the story with me as a, I think probably eight or nine year old walking on the streets of Manhattan. I was born and raised in New York city and remembering the moment that the sort of Benetton store on 86 and Madison went away and the gap went in and thinking to myself at a young age, like, why did that happen? What made this change? Why did one thing become replaced by another? What was it about the brand? What was it about the product? Like I actually had those thoughts and The funny thing is, and this is my number one piece of career advice, is actually to think back to when you're at a certain age before you knew 
what was cool, what paid a lot of money, what was quote unquote prestigious, what your parents wanted you to do. And just remember how your head naturally worked. And that's how my head naturally worked. And I think from there, my, the first job I ever wanted was to design store windows. Again, it kind of came out of that of, okay, well, that's something. And that was marketing. Um, it was marketing. Yeah. I just didn't know that those were the, I didn't know any of the lingo, but that's what I was doing. And I was writing college papers and I wrote my college thesis on the gap and why the gap was successful. And, you know, this thread goes all the way through. Um, so that's really where my career started was just a passion and a love of brands and the consumer. And I've woven it through everything that I've done in in different ways, but it always comes back to that. And I started on wall street because I had this interest in business. And I don't think I at the time even appreciated what that meant, but I thought that, you know, I better go learn some real skills. And I went to Goldman Sachs and I was an investment banking analyst and I learned what a PL was and a balance sheet and cash flow. And it's definitely a testament to them that I did not know the answers to those questions when I started and they were willing to teach me. And uh, that's amazing. That it's amazing. No, they, yeah. they had a philosophy of like, okay, you'll figure it out. Are you smart and driven? And you don't have to know all the answers. I think that's like another really just something that I try to really think about when we hire people you know, or, or what are the, the raw things that you can't teach. You can usually teach anything related to an industry totally. or a specific skill, but what you can't teach is sort of just the way that you are and how you process information and your attitude about things. And I was willing to just throw myself in and try anything. And then I became an investor in the consumer space. And that was a big sort of turning point for me was sitting at some boardroom tables, looking at investments in consumer businesses and feeling like I was literally on the wrong side. And again, I remember these moments thinking, well, they're having all the fun. Um, And here I am, (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with some good Excel spreadsheets, I still love them, but I got reams of legal documents and Excel spreadsheets and both of those things still play a very big role in my life but I really wanted to also be in the room when people talked about brand and design and again, go back to those shop windows and the creative aspects of the business. And I decided to go back to business school and wrote a little essay about why are you coming back to business school? And I was like, well, cause I want to get into the beauty industry and I need this. And why to- beauty versus, ah, yeah. That was a heavily researched thing. So I had the opportunity when I was at Apex as a investment, uh, an investment associate, we looked at everything under the sun, from packaged goods to retail, high end, low end. There wasn't much of an internet then, so I'm really dating myself. So it wasn't a lot of e-commerce stuff, but it, it it was really full spectrum in terms of what these types of businesses were. And we looked at a few beauty brands, and I realized that beauty, through this whole process and talking to people in various different roles, I realized through all this that beauty was that perfect mix, that it was the analytics and the rigor of a CPG business, that there was really something to hold on to, and the creativity and change and daily revolution of fashion and design and these things that I was really interested in, it was sort of right in between. And so that's why beauty, I didn't wear a lick of makeup or really know anything about skincare or anything other than rifling through my mother's Clinique GWPs. And that's where I started was at Clinique. So that's all I knew about it. So it really came at it from actually kind of an analytical perspective about what business did I want to be in and quickly discovered that it's an incredible category that it lived up to all that, that it has a great community of people that are a part of it and that it's, it's never still, it's ever changing. And so 
I've kind of wandered away from it a little bit at various points in my career and tested things and I'll always come right back uh, because it's such a, it's such a great category. And over time I've built a lot of knowledge and expertise in it, which certainly helps. Um, I think it can be helpful to have some frameworks when you're entering into something. I also try and stop myself from ever thinking there's the way to do it. So I think that also gets dangerous, but yeah, so I started at Estee Lauder uh, then went to LVMH and went back to investing, but on the operating side and a lot of um, worked at El Catterton, worked on a lot of the beauty businesses within that portfolio, among other things, back to the kind of trying other stuff and then coming right back to beauty. And then met Holly, the founder of Supergoop, and here I am. So when you were at both LVMH and Clinique, were you in a marketing role? Was it more, what was that? It was marketing and, and yeah. back back to the research project that I did before business school and writing that essay, I learned that marketing was effectively the strategy seat in beauty businesses. And that if you were part of marketing, you sat at the hub of the wheel, that you were there to develop products, you were there to take it global, you were there to figure out the messaging, you were there to interact with the distribution channels. That was kind of the driver of the engine. Uh, and that was another reason that I actually sort of got excited about beauty because I, back to the whole thing, I'm a marketer at heart, I'm a brand person at heart. And that was a place where, you know, I think career advice for me has been be the thing that is the heart and the soul of the business. So if you are interested in marketing, go to the place where marketing is what it is. And, and I, I learned what merchandising was and I wasn't as drawn to that. Again, personal choice, no, no good reason for it, but I realized that that meant I needed to end up in beauty or CPG versus retail because I really wanted to be the thing that drove the business. So that's why beauty, that's why marketing. And then, yeah, I did grow up through the marketing ranks in those organizations and had the chance to do everything that was sort of super conceptual and then also super tactical down to the point of sale and how do you convert, whether it was at a counter at that time or on e-commerce and, and kind of was part of a lot of the digital revolution that was going on sort of throughout my career coming into a place that isn't as sort of tech forward and then getting it there has definitely been a pattern that I've repeated multiple times now. You are at El Catterton and then how do you end up meeting Holly and taking that leap? Uh, a headhunter call, big lesson, always say yes to meeting people. You might not know where that relationship is going to go, but I had had breakfast with a gentleman named the name of Martin Carton eight years before I got that phone call. I'm just such a big believer that the seeds get planted. And again, you never know how it's going to all turn out. But he called me and he said, Amanda, I have an idea for you. Have you ever heard of Supergoop? And I had, it was a wonderful little magical brand that, you know, cause I eat, you know, eat, breathe, live, sleep beauty and can't pass a Sephora and not go in. I knew <laughs> what too. it was, but that, that was about it. I kind of learned when I sat down with Holly, this sort of amazing goal that she had to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen. And that really connected with me. I did learn about the power of SPF when I was at Clinique pretty much day one. And it really made sense to me what she was trying to do, but I also just loved the brand and every story that she told, I was like, oh man, this has all the things that I was taught to look for at, at Lauder and at LVMH and just somebody had to kind of get in there and figure out what to do with it. So great statement that it had all the things. What are all those things that it has? These, these, the, these are the things that don't go in a spreadsheet. So yeah. 
this is magic and it is so hard to put your finger on it. I think I feel it in my bones. It is about an incredible story. I think great brands have incredible stories behind them and always is second to none. Uh, they have a really clear sense of who they are, just really, really well-defined brand DNA is what we, we called it at LPMH. So um, it's like a person, right? They have a really strong sense of self. I think those are probably the, the most important. And then the stories and the DNA interact in a way that I always felt like as a marketer, the best sign of a good interview was when you left and your wheels were just churning with the 500 ideas that you had that you wanted, you couldn't wait to go and implement. And I felt that way at Clinique. I felt that way at Dior where there was just always something. I just was never at a loss for ideas. There was always another idea. And I felt that way when I talked to Holly and I still feel that way every day. The list of all the crazy things <laughs> that I think this brand should do just grows <laughs> much faster than, than we can get to actually doing all of them. But that just makes it fun. And I think the consumer can feel that. I think these are things that, again, I think they help brands stand the test of time. They give you the the reach to be global and you know have a diverse consumer base to create different kinds of products. And again, I think it comes from the beginning. I don't think it's something that someone like me can kind of go back and manufacture. I think it's in that founding story. That's great. So let's dive into a little bit about the founding story, about Supergoop, just kind of give us the foundation and then dive into product and all of the good stuff about the brand. Yeah. So Supergoop is the first and only lifestyle brand, hundred percent dedicated to UV protection, AKA SPF. Our founding story is truly one of a mission and solving a problem. Holly's had a good friend who was diagnosed with skin cancer at age 29 and that set her on a life journey to get people to wear SPF every single day. Easier said than done. And that is a, is the way that you do that and her earliest insight, which is still our most powerful one today, is you create a product that people want to wear in a brand that they love. That's what we do every day is we create products that people love, that they want to have in their routine, that they're not, you know, SPF is not some sticky, yucky mess that I put up with at the beach, which is what it was before Holly showed up, but just a beautiful part of their health and wellness routine. And we're on a podcast talking about health and wellness. And the best thing you can do for your skin every day is to wear SPF. It's a, it's, it is something I learned very early on in the beauty industry. And I think that that's really what we do. And, and we also are really about education and creating a category. And in order to do that, we're big believers that yes, we have a serious mission. We are here to get skin cancer from one in five to one in 10 to one in 5,000, but we're, you don't really hear us talk about that because we think the best job that we can do is to inspire people not to scold them. So that's really what is at the beginning of the brand. The brand actually started in school classrooms. So that spirit of fun and joy, it's in our name. It's in the exclamation point. It's in the color. It's in everything that we do is really unique. And, you know, again, these were the things that when I first heard Holly's story and then heard about just everywhere I would turn about what you could do with this brand just kind of got me super excited. So if somebody is new to the brand, what products, because you now have so many amazing products. We have so many. Yeah. Well, what I would start? tell them is go to supergroup.com and there's product finder. That's my number one recommendation because I really, it is not one size fits all. I think that that's our fundamental belief that you can't have one SPF in your line as many you know, skincare brands might. 
and think that you're actually going to solve the problem of which one's right for me. And it's not one size fits all, it's also not one size fits always. So if you're running on the beach, you need something, then you do just daily commuting to work. My personal favorite yeah. um, changes regularly, but uh, is often a little white bottle of what's coming out next. But right now I'm in a, a routine where I'm using a lot of sheer screen, which launched in this past March. It is a beautiful new 100% mineral formula. And I flip back and forth between that and glow screen which is if you just want this sort of much more dewy, radiant glow. That's what I Very, have on today. I was, it's what I have on today. It's, it's, it's sort of my Zoom ready. Zoom screen was what it launched in February of, of 2020. So it quickly went from sort of festival spring break to Zoom ready beauty, but it has served that purpose incredibly well too. So everybody's got a different answer and, and that's sort of the beauty of the brand. So as you think about product, I know that there's a lot of, you know, horrible ingredients out there and you guys are certainly focused on better. What are those kind of guardrails or ingredients that people should absolutely not be wanting in their sunscreen? A little education on that. Yeah. So we were clean before it was cool to be clean. Holly talked about this from day one of the founding the brand in which she was the first person to create a chemical sunscreen without oxybenzone. People told her it couldn't be done and she did it. And that sort of started this brand on a mission that is, here's the things we're going to remove. That list grows daily. Um, it's 1600 plus ingredients now. And it's not just about the actives in a formula, whether it's mineral or chemical, we believe there's times and places for both. And we don't use certain chemical actives, but we think there's certainly, you can't get a clear sunscreen, for example, without using chemical actives, but it's also about what else is in the formula. So there's 90% of the formula, something else. Nobody talks about that, but we think that that is equally important. So, you know, again, we have a list on our website of things that we don't use. That's too long to rattle off on a podcast, <laughs> but, and quite frankly, it, it changes. I think one thing that, that you have to understand to understand our belief about this category is that it's ever evolving. And our job is to ensure that people have the best possible products to wear every single day, but that, that, that journey is never finished. So as you think about wearing sunscreen every day, there's so many things I think that we don't even realize how the sun is damaging us, or even I feel like there's now more talk about blue light damaging. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like, what are we doing in our daily lives or how we should be thinking about like why sunscreen every day that it's not like, oh, I'm going yeah. and sitting out on the beach. Yeah, It's way more yeah. than that. Yeah, I mean, any dermatologist would tell you that it's incidental exposure. That's why our, our actual mantra is every single day. It, is, it isn't just about the beach. It is about your daily routine. I see you have a window behind you. That UVA rays are coming right through, through that window. And you might not be getting a sunburn, which is what you get from a UVB ray, but you're still getting the damage that comes from a UVA ray. And, and that's just omnipresent. Rain or shine, cloudy, not cloudy, 365 days a year. That just is. And we love the sun. I mean, I always say we sell sunshine for a living. It's not about staying inside or Holly often talks about, she's like, I didn't want to be the mom with the kids who were under the umbrella at the beach and like weren't allowed outside. Supergoop is your ticket to, to get outside. So we really don't want people to be afraid of the sun. We just want you to be protected from it, but it is there every day. And then yes, you're right. There's a full spectrum of light, whether that's blue light, IRA, which is actually heat. And there's a lot more that is 
um, you know, are sort of these daily aggressors. We even, you know, we talk about pollution, the other things that you need to protect your skin. We really think of it, our purpose is to protect the skin and, and that's grounded in a foundation of SPF, but it, it does go beyond that. Well, I think how you've now applied it into so many things, whether it's a powder or the glow screen, like mm -hmm. really makes it so that wearing it every day becomes far more approachable and something to be able to add. And I did just see your new vitamin C product, yes. which feels yes. like a great application as well. It's great. You know, that one kind of has a crazy story behind it because we learned that vitamin C uh, photo incinerates. So when you go out into the sunlight, if you have vitamin C in a product, it incinerates, like it kind of poof goes away. If it's in a formula, you don't have SPF in over it. And a lot of us wear vitamin C to make sure that we're brightening the appearance of the skin. So kind of breaking that cycle, right? SPF is the most thing, important thing you need to protect your skin so that you don't get the dark spots in the first place. So that product is really about sort of breaking, reversing that cycle. It's another one of my regular favorites. I was going to say, sounds like I need this one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about when you first joined Supergoop, what was it like coming in as a founder led company and you know how that experience in the beginning versus where you are today? You know, I think there's something wonderful about doing something for the first time. I think this is why founders are so great because you don't know anything else. Totally. So, uh, you know, I was my first time running a business. I'd been a CMO before. I'm just so excited that somebody had given me this chance. And I was so determined that I was going to figure it out. And I think that I did very quickly. I think it was about three weeks in Holly and her brother and her husband sat me down for all on our board and said, well, what do you think? And I kept those notes and they're the same exact notes with the same exact strategy that I still think about every day about what we were trying to try and accomplish and what made the brand special and what we had to work on. But what I learned really, really quickly was that, and I think I knew this, but I didn't know it the way you know it in a, in a business when you show up and there's only a few people was that I was not going to do it alone, that I might have some ideas about what direction we should head in, but it was literally impossible for me to figure out how to do this. So actually I spent that first year hiring a team. Um, and the size, how many team members were there at the time when you, you know, at the time it was under 10. I mean, so how we still have Holly's first two hires are with us. They are near Same with and mine, dear the, actually yeah, near and dear to this brand's heart. Our head of ops had joined a couple of weeks before me and I, he hears me say this all the time and I'll still say it again to you. I would not have survived. I still would not survive without Gary. And you know, he was there with me through this first year. But we then we had to really start to build a team and, and find the people that were really excited to shake things up, to go faster, to dream big. We're excited about that journey. And several of you know, my leadership team kind of that started to build from there is, is still with me. And we've been growing ever since. And we're getting pretty close to, I think we're 79 now. So wow. that's a pretty big jump and it's been definitively the thing that gives me the most joy is this team and just watching them have a ball it's the thing that i really at the end of the day care about the most is that they're happy taken care of and having the ride of their lives because i know i certainly am so as you've now scaled from 10 to 79 that is a huge jump what are some of those lessons in really scaling, but more so I would say from the leadership perspective, what have 
been some of your big takeaways? Oh, so many. I think being really purposeful about everything you do and being really good communicator and communicating many times about the same thing because I learned that what's in my head is just in my head. <laughs> it doesn't mean that anybody knows what I'm thinking. And so I think that's been a really important one. I think surrounding yourself with people who are a million times better at everything than you could ever be and listening to them. I really, this is something that I read about all the time. I think about all the time, not saying I always do it the best I possibly could, but it's sort of the thing that's always in the back of my mind. It's just listen more, hear more. It's, you know, and that's the combination that kind of, I think creates great strategy and great direction is having a, a big idea and a sense of where you're going, but to really listen. Some of my biggest breakthroughs and ideas of they, they were not what was in my head, but they came from like really listening to somebody that something, you know, something that somebody on the team said or something external, whatever it is, and, and just really listening. Be purposeful about your culture. It's just as important as how, how much time you spend on a board deck or a financial model. Put that amount of effort and time into what are your values, write them down, make them unique not platitudes. They really are something that I turn back to time and time again and become a great guide of how you hire that next group of people. And every time you go out to hire someone, you're, you're filtering off of that. It's what, you know, culture is, doesn't exist. It's, it's a, it's a group of people behaving in a certain way. Right. I think I've learned to be, to think bigger. I think Holly has taught me that and that sort of big ideas and grit and just going for it. It's been really super fun. I don't know. The list goes on a million. I, I learned something new every day. Obviously the last 18 months has taught me more than I ever thought possible. And it's teaching me something. Yeah. New every day. Great segue. As you think about the 18 months of this past year and talking about team and culture, which I hundred percent in alignment is like the most important thing. The thing that keeps me up at night. Are they happy? How do we make this better? Any tips of really how you've maintained culture over this last 18 months and anything that has been helpful for you guys as a company? I think it goes back to the communicating thing. I think it becomes more important when you're not all physically in the same place things. And quite frankly, for us, COVID as well as growth have intersected. So sometimes it's hard to totally pull apart yeah. those, but being a good communicator and making sure that, that you are letting people know what's going on in the business so that they have the clarity of the strategy to make good decisions and the security to know that everything's okay. It's certainly been really important learning to say, you don't know. I think I always thought that leaders stood up on boxes and kind of had all the answers and were these sort of charismatic characters that everybody would just follow without asking questions. <laughs> and, and the good news is that's not the case because I don't think I ever had that in me, but I think don't be afraid to say you don't know because um, none of us know. And I think that I am so grateful to how much my team has appreciated that and kind of let me off the hook when I say, you know, just kidding. Um, that's not when we're going to open up the office again or whatever else it is and, <laughs> Everything's and roll, in flux. <laughs> roll with it. Uh, but I think the worst thing you can do is to sort of make it seem like you have all the answers because then I think you also create a world in which people back to the whole listening thing won't tell you when you're way off base. And I think being, being willing to listen and change is really important. Absolutely. So as you've scaled, 
you have taken investment from some great partners who I've met. They're wonderful people. Um, <laughs> would love to talk a little bit, you know, given that investment and your background, what tips you can share as far as finding the right partner, because that is such a kind of horror story of finding the right partner, making it work and really having that successful partnership to grow the business. Yeah. I, you know, I'd say two things. I think a great partner really understands the brand and the business and loves it in a deep and a passionate way, the same way that you do as a founder or I do as a CEO, that it's not just numbers on a spreadsheet to them, that it, that it's like they really get it. And every business has its uniquenesses. And, you know, for us, when we were raising capital, you had to really believe that we could go and create a category. I remember my experience fundraising and I had this PowerPoint deck about all these things we were going to do and no proof points. <laughs> like, okay, well, this is going to, I shouldn't say no proof points, but like just this, like it was, it was mostly just a, a belief in me and the plan and a belief in the mission that Holly had created and the things that we were going to go and do. And I'm forever grateful that there were people who were willing to take that chance, who were willing to say, yeah, you can create a category out of prestige, protective skincare with SPF, because that did not exist. I de definitely saw that. The second thing is, I think, you know, everybody says this, but it really is true. It's not about the money. It's about the person. And I knew I had the right investors back to the sort of 18 month journey that week in March when nobody knew what was going to happen, the level of strength in the guidance that they were willing to offer, the calm, the fact that they like, let me process, think about what to do, come back to them with an answer and nobody hit a panic button. My phone was not ringing off the hook. You've got this, Amanda, we're here if you need us. That's what I heard. And that I think is really telling when something is as unpredictable and as sort of you know, challenging as that, that's when you really know people's two colors. Yeah, that's amazing. As you've now really successfully scaled the business, uh, I think from the time that you've started, but certainly with the investment and, and continuing to grow, what are some of those areas that you can talk about in brand building that you've really, I guess, A, had that background at LVMH and Clinique and took with you and now really applied to today? Because the market has certainly shifted so much, probably yeah. social didn't exist, digital didn't exist. What are those tools that you've really used to build yeah. such a successful brand? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've always sort of been on the cutting edge of this. So when I was at Clinique, I think I bought our first banner ads. And at Dior, launched the Facebook page one day, a <laughs> cubicle. Uh, and we were working with these chic young girls, we didn't call them influencers, I, you know, to do different product launches. And so it's always sort of been native to me to think that way about what's different and what's changing. I think what's been really exciting about this experience has been that it's really my job as a marketer to be helping make sure that we have the right big picture, helping that we really have a good strategy behind what we're doing. And I really weigh in much more on the marketing strategy than I do literally what's happening in the con. I mean, our marketing team and our head of marketing are just so great and they need me out of the way. I don't even, you know, I just kind of try and float above it all and see how it all comes together and make sure that the brand and the depth of the storytelling is, is what it needs and, and that we're kind of moving in the right directions in terms of how we're thinking about consumer bases and to your point, how we're thinking about the next generation of tactics and what they're going to be. 
So I'm living much more above it than I did when I was a CMO, because that's what you do when you're a CMO, you're in it. And so I think really learning to separate from that has been, I think, a big learning for me, but also something that had to happen because I think as one becomes no longer the target market and the native speaker of these tools, you realize that you don't, it's, it, 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 it is a second language. And that when you have people who it's their first language, they're the experts. So you're there to advise and give some big picture thoughts, but under no circumstances should I be writing the social media copy or something <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> Which I did for a few, you know, like to patchwork it over until we built our great team, but it was clearly not what I should be focused on. What are some of the other lessons that you've learned in scaling? What's been some of kind of the hardest or um, you know, it is, challenges? It, people, people, people. If you yeah. want to scale, you got to have people who are in the right roles with the right skill set who are who are builders. You you don't do it alone. So I can never say that enough. I think thinking about your backend infrastructure as much as you think about what is happening on the marketing side. You know, people usually talk about marketing, they talk about sales, they talk about product. But let me tell you, if your backbone of your organization isn't functioning, like it doesn't matter how many likes you get or how viral you go, if there's no product on the shelf, it doesn't really do you any good, right? So major push for the power of the supply chain and the financial discipline of an organization. And that it always changes, you know, uh, organization when it's going through something like this, it's not stable. I love that. But recognizing that the only thing that's certain is change and something like this and being comfortable with that and thriving in that is important to running a business and, and how you hire people. Um, that evolves over time. As we've grown, we've hired people that are deeper specialists in certain areas versus sort of jacks of all trade that you have when you're 10, 20 people. But I think they all have that sort of common love of the the next thing in the building that I think is definitely runs through all of us. How much of this journey for you do you feel like you have relied on gut instinct and how much have you not and you're looking at those numbers and making those both. decisions? I think that's, I'm a, you know, I'm a left brain, right brain person or right brain, I don't know which side, but down the middle. <laughs> I, I think you can't have one without the other. I think that pure gut can get dangerous because you may ignore data. And I think pure data doesn't cr doesn't create new things that didn't exist before. So I really believe you have to have both. I think you have both. I agree. Any tips for tuning into your intuition more? Like, do you ever feel mm. like, oh God, I just can't feel what my gut is trying to tell me today? I think giving yourself and your brain space. So I am a big walker and runner and yes, it keeps me healthy. So plug for, you know, being healthy, but it's a lot about just clearing my head and letting the synapses do their thing. Because I think that I really try and spend time in the day without my earphones in, without staring at a screen, you know, just again, just seeing what my brain does and where it goes and what, what connections it makes. So I do think you need that in order to have a feeling or reaction or an idea. You need to give yourself space to do that. And I think that can be space that's alone, but it's also space with your team to just banter things around and get out of the day to day and just give, 
the brainstorming kind of creativity stuff, I think it you need space to be able to do that. Perfect segue into a bit about your own health and wellness. Would love to dive in to that. This That was a great tip, I think, of really separating because I know personally I have a hard time doing that, but I so need to do that. So would love to hear a little bit about your personal wellness philosophy. And I don't believe in the word balance at all, but really how you take all the different pieces that you're mm -hmm. juggling into your life. Yeah. Oh boy. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this question, but I'll try <laughs> anyway. Uh, you, probably, you know, humbled by being on this podcast. I'm sure the other people are probably professionals at this, but I think what I would say is just try and like your, your physical health is the most important gift that you can have in your life and really can't take it for granted. So just the basic things of eat, sleep, exercise, I, I don't know how not to do them. Now that doesn't mean that again, like I'm not a triathlete. I definitely, I'll tell you, my team sent me a birthday cake because we weren't in the same place. They like messengered me a birthday cake, my birthday that tells you, I do not only <laughs> tell me, um, Everyone and, I, should have and, a birthday I, and I'm cake totally a sleep deprived mother, but I think that on the margin, I just try and take care of myself physically because I just think it's precious. And I hope if anything we all learned through this experience is don't take it for granted. So I do think it starts with the physical because I think that's the foundation. But I think I'm also, you know, look, I, I have found that being a mother has been the greatest gift to me health-wise and like mental health-wise because it has put me in a place where when I'm home, I'm home. And I have to really like the joy of, of motherhood is so overwhelmingly wonderful that it kind of clears out a lot of things. And then the things that can feel really overwhelming about motherhood. And, you know, I, on Monday morning, I come back to the office. I'm like, well, this, I know how to do, I may not know how to be a parent, but I know how to be a CEO. So I, I don't know, that's been a really, you know, and whether, you know, someone decides to have children or, or not, you know, that's a personal choice. But for me, it's been, I think one of the great, try not to use the word balance, but um, balancers in, in my life has been, has come through that. So I'd say those things too. And then I think I personally, you know, have found that for me finding a little bit of alone time, even if I can live off of one afternoon <laughs> for months on end of just like, oh, I went to an art gallery. Like I just did something just for me and it might only be a few hours. And, you, you know, I think that those are the things I probably say are, are top of mind. Anything specific that you do to really just like stay motivated and not burnt out. And I think especially over the last 18 months has been hard to be so consumed. I think as CEOs were 24 seven consumed. And so how do yeah. you, any specific things that you like to do to not feel out of balance for using the word. I've, I've found that talking to other people in similar situations is really helpful. And, you know, people say kind of being in our shoes is lonely. And the, and the truth is sometimes it is right. Mm -hmm. um, that at the end of the day, you're the one calling the shots and you have nowhere to turn, but to look at yourself. But I have found a community through, I'm a member of YPO and I found other CEOs and founders that I find just being with them and talking and realizing we're all going through the exact same thing. It has really helped me. 
So I'd say that that for me has really been a very, you know, YPO has been a, a really wonderful gift through, I joined kind of ironically enough, right, you know, two years ago. So kind of six months before the pandemic. Perfect and timing. Perfect timing. Who knew? But I mean, I think it would have been great anyway. Yeah. But I, I found that that community and other similar conversations have been really important. So find the people in your life that are going through something similar and you just, you know, and, and I have many friends who do many different things who are near and incredibly dear to me. But I, I found that that has been in terms of like work burnout and finding it, that has been really important. All right. And celebrate the wins. I think that's the other thing I'd say. Take time to take a step back and be like, oh my gosh, look at what we've done. I think that's such a good point because I think it's so easy to get stuck in the day to day that it, it's hard, but it's super important. And to not get allow the lows to be low, you know? Yeah. And, and know that the lows will come. I think right. I become it's much more zen about like, oh, well, that was less fun than I might have hoped. But that they're part of the job. I think right. like sometimes I find that they're just like, if you sort of accept things as part of the journey, you swallow them a lot more easily than if you, if you sort of dwell on them. So I think knowing that it's celebrating the wins and knowing that the lows will pass. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So we're going to switch to some rapid fire Q and A. Okay. The best advice you've gotten in the last six months. I think it's, you know, it's not just you or it's, you know, this, I, I'd go back to this sort of explanation of being with other CEOs and the best advice that I've had is, oh, that happened to me too. Your favorite super group product, if you could just pick one. Oh dear. Unfair question. Um, I <laughs> Okay. You can pick two. <laughs> uh, two. Okay. I'm going to go with really hard. I'm, I'm struggling. As you can see, I love our moose like my favorite body product. It's the thing that keeps me in all of my redheaded freckleness from getting sunburn at the beach. And probably Defense Refresh, which is a setting spray to reapply over your makeup. I think they're they're my favorites. But what's something in your wellness journey that you wish you figured out earlier? Sunscreen. <laughs> I could do that one. Three random things that you're currently loving. Loving. Oh, okay. I think this was like books and podcasts and things like that. So I'm watching Billions, yes. uh, Billions in Succession. Those are my two favorites. So happy it restarted. So happy to restart. I think there, you know, there's something about the wheeling and dealing that is just very entertaining. I love the podcast Pivot. It's Karis Fisher and Scott Galloway. And I just love their banter and like the sort of thinking ahead about where things are going. And the third, I would probably say anything that's in an art museum or a gallery somewhere that I've kind of come across, like that's my other kind of thing that I just get really excited about is, is anything and anything art, design, aesthetics, going to a dance concert in a week from now. I'm just like, I love that kind of stuff. What's your favorite museum in New York? Hmm. That's going to be a toss up probably. I think... Can never go wrong with Matt. I love MoMA. I love the Whitney. I don't know. I'm going to have a hard time picking. I'm not good at picking things. <laughs> We're putting clearly, too much pressure right clear, here. <laughs> clearly, I, ha I, like the, I have commitment issues. No, I, I just like, I just, I love variety. I think yeah. that's part of who I am. Yeah. What do you want more of in your life? Hours in the day. What do you want less of? Screens. A meal that you'll never forget. 
though. I have a good one for this one. So our head of PD and I were in Japan for about 24 hours on a wild shopping spree of like trying to understand like what's happening in Japan and Tokyo. And we got to go to- Why couldn't you go for more than 24 hours? Well, we were on our, we were on our way back. I think we were on our way back from Hong Kong and we were at, we were at Cosmo Prof and she and I, I cannot wait to get back on the road with her because we go on these crazy trips places just looking for the next inspiration, the next idea. And we were in Tokyo and we went to, uh, the correct terminology is omakase dinner. And it was in this tiny little shoebox of a restaurant that was probably, you know, the size of the desk that I'm sitting at right now. And it was just, it was beautiful. Every gesture, the way that the food was presented, the tiny little boxes that all nestled in each other, that it just was, it was truly memorable. And plus to spend it with her was really special treat too. That sounds like heaven. Your favorite super goop moment that you've had. It's happened yet. I think hasn't happened I always yet? say, I always say the best is yet to come. So I do believe that but I think you know just recently Holly won a CW Achiever Award and we were able to get our team in New York back together for the first time in a very long time and celebrate her and be together and we had a little screening of watching her accept the award and that that was a really big moment and the award was for changing the industry and um, oh that's huge it was it was really huge and and it just meant it was the combination of that moment for her for our business and to share it with the people that had helped build this company to sort of enable her to be on that stage was really, really special. That's amazing. What keeps you up at night? I usually my to-do list. <laughs> Just like, you know, I'm always like, ah, did I forget to do this? I write myself emails. Do you keep your night. to-do list? I'm curious how you keep it. Do you keep it in your notes physically? I'm known for this crazy, back to the spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheet that nobody on the planet except for me would even understand what it means. <laughs> but the funny thing is that for me, a to-do list now, it's evolved a lot. As, as my son promptly told me when we were in lockdown of like May of last year. And, you know, he was doing his little kindergarten thing with his wonderful nanny who was helping navigate him through the world of Zoom kindergarten. And I, you know, and he came out of the room at three o'clock one day and he looks at me and said, mom, you don't really do anything all day, do you? I've been working very hard and you're just on the phone. <laughs> and so he was right. And so my to-do list is often just much, you know, it's sort of a, a random list of thoughts of all the things I hope this brand could do one day. So it's evolved a lot, but there's usually an idea that comes to me in the middle of the night. That's hilarious. <laughs> Your son knows. He know. Oh yeah. Tell me, let me tell you the kids, he's seven, you know, he six at the time. They speak the truth. Well, our last rapid fire, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Sleep. I always wish I were one of those people that could get away with, maybe I don't, but I was be so much more efficient if I only needed four hours sleep, but I need eight. Um, I'm not myself without it. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Any tips for sleeping or you good sleeper? Any, I I mean, I think it's bad. Um, no, I mean, I probably do everything wrong, but I think it is about clearing your head. It's back to, you know, give yourself space, make sure that the 
the things that are rattling around in your head are written down so you don't feel like you have to remember them. That's for me, I think a big thing. So wonderful. Yeah. Well, in closing, what's next for Supergoop? Anything we haven't touched on? More products, more places, more exciting marketing. I mean, we're always, always testing and learning and trying something new and changing the world. So yeah, a lot, lot left to do. Any sneak peek on a product or big marketing initiative? Can't tell no. you yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned then. Yes. Yeah. January. Next, next. All right. Perfect. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it was thank so you. great so to chat with you. Super fun. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.